imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. With your host, Kevin Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rock about music, rock and roll, and cover power. The thing is, though... If you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with shot and nails. Confidence of a hero or a fool, I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. It's science thing right indeed 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 it is it is a science thing it is a science place it is a scientific fact that we are all up in your face it is time once again for the one the only protonic reversal welcome to it welcome to it welcome to it episode 283 he said with a confident grin definitely sure that that was the number uh, can't wait to bring this to you. This is this is a, a rock and roll legend, folks, and uh, you you come to expect it from Protonic. You expect nothing less. You wanted the best. You got the best. Dennis Stack, let's go. Let's go. Welcome, 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 sir. How are you doing? Hey, doing good. How are you? Fantastic. Are you, so you? Uh, I don't want to narc out your location, but uh, you're you're in Hawaii, which yeah. I, I'm in Milwaukee. Uh, let's just can we just do a fun thing and compare and contrast the uh, the I've got a special weather statement for a blizzard and it's 15 degrees currently, so I'm gonna guess it's probably a little warmer where you're at. Yeah, it's uh, it it's pretty much always the same. Um, high 70s in the day, low 70s at night. Sunny, clear. It's pretty nice. Which in which island are you at? Uh, we're on the big island. You're on Kona. Okay. Now, I and the reason yeah. why I asked is because it recently came to my attention, the uh, Tecona coffee, which is fantastic. And I, and, and I love this so much that, like, you're, you, you've got co- – especially Kona coffee is my favorite. It has low acidity, which is – I get uh, get the heartburn. And I think this is fantastic. Yeah, thank you. What – what? Uh, we, think it's pretty, we think it's pretty good, too. Yeah, so, so – lifelong coffee fan i mean what what led what led you to doing the, doing the coffee thing like the rock and as far as rock and roll side hustles <laughs> go it's a pretty pretty good one it's an awesome you get to you yeah what sort of you know coffee and rock and roll sort of go together i yeah. mean you got to have coffee if you're touring you got to have coffee if, if you're recording it's true you got to have coffee if you're re- rehearsing you know it just goes with it and so it's um and you know my we were my wife and I were fortunate enough to be able to take over this farm here that my parents had. So uh, it was it was kind of um, you know we're really lucky to be able to come out here and, and do that. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean that it's it's I find the whole thing very fascinating. I got to do when we were me and my wife were in Kona few years back we got to go to 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 a roastery and, and kind of like see the process and it was just so interesting and so cool to to see this thing that yeah as a rock and roll person you take it for granted right it's just always there and it's a thing and to see it from 
from birthing to uh, into the bag, so to speak, was uh, pretty special, honestly. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, you know, we do the whole thing. I planted the trees, dug the holes, you know, and I pick a lot of it myself. And, and you know, we do all the processing and 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 we roast we roast it to order. If you, you know, if you order a certain type of roast uh, on the website, you know, we'll roast it that day or the next day and then it'll be in the mail to you the following day. So it's it can be we can get it to out to people really really fresh. I love that, and that's you know I was, I was talking recently in the show about the whole idea of there being you know whether it's guitar pedals and amps or uh, something else, but the fact of kind of people bringing like the punk rock DIY thing towards various products and things, and I, I love it. I think it's 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 a natural extension of when you have to do things yourself and. Oh yeah, you you follow your own uh, the beat of your own drummer, so to speak. Yeah, and you know, in, in in the music, it's always been that way for you know for us. I mean, it's um, we the band. You know, I was never in a band that was uh, mainstream accepted in the in the music industry, and we were sort of regarded as outlaws. Yeah, from the, from the start, and so we, you know, we always did our own stuff. Even before before it was known to do that, we were doing it. It didn't seem like you you, you fellas really had a choice <laughs> to a certain degree. Like you were going to do yeah, these things super do hard. Yeah, yourself or don't do it at all. Yeah, but it holds up. That's the thing. So I, I was actually uh, I was rocking out to the um, uh, it's 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 like the discography, the, the Central Radio, the one that came out uh, some years back, and the one on Sub Pop. Yeah, and 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 I it just it it blew my mind like how. It doesn't sound dated, really. I mean, it's rock and roll, right? Rock and roll, if you're into rock and roll, rock and roll is not going to, that's well recorded. It is an awesome kick-ass band playing in a room. It's not going to sound that dated. It's not going to be too tied to, like, you know, auto-tune on the vocals or <laughs> whatever the fetish yeah, of the day that's, is. that's right. I, I, you know, we never really followed any sort of genre-specific formulas. Yeah. It's just the music we wanted to do at the time and... and um, and so I, I think that maybe that's why it stood the test of time. Plus, those are pretty good songs. The songs, you know, it's, the songs hold up, right? <laughs> yeah, there's something to be said for having a good song, and uh, you know, it's it's there's sound bands. I think it's the most. Yeah, the song is the most important thing. If, yeah. if it doesn't matter that much what the technique is, or what equipment you used, or or how great the you know the production values are, if it's a great song it'll still hold up and if it's a bad song it doesn't matter what you do to it you can't polish it yeah you can't polish a turd as they say right exactly that's right <laughs> i was i wasn't gonna say yeah that, I, was, but... <laughs> I was gonna say we try we try to keep it a family show here we don't. yeah i, I know <laughs> well but it's you know it, it strikes me you know so while we're talking about the of course we're talking about uh, everything here, but while we're talking about the the mighty Radio Birdman, I mean, when do you have it in your mind that like there's something really special going on? Like, like you know that hey, you're you know you're playing songs and it, it's a good time. But what it seems to me like Radio Birdman hit at a very different level, and you know when something is special when something's hitting. So it's like you and Rob formed it. It was like what uh, mid seventy four somewhere around that line along those lines. Yeah, in the city. exactly. Right. And, and it's not like you guys were, you know, 
fully formed from the head of Zeus, so to speak. But uh, <laughs> is there a moment where you're just like, hey, oh, whoa, this is this is something real? Well, yeah, well, we you know, we both, Rob and I were on a very uh, uh, sympathetic wavelength together. We were living together in the same the same the same place and, you know, roommates. And both of us had been in bands that had failed in the, you know, just recently they had failed. And so, you know, we wanted to keep playing. So we said, well, let's make our, we'll, we'll do our own band. And, right. and this time it's not going to have, you know, we're going to do it the way we want to do it and uh, no compromises and we'll just have fun with it. And, but we never thought it would go anywhere. Right. <laughs> well, it wasn't exactly commercial music at the time. And and if I remember correctly, uh, you were a negative influence, allegedly, for T.V. Jones. Was that was that the, the rationale for, for for that? Yeah, that's what they said that <laughs> when they when they fired me. You know, they said um, actually it was funny because they they came over. Uh, Chris Jones and Giles. Uh, came over to the house that where me and Rob were living and uh, Rob was actually in the room for the conversation and he he still talks about it and he couldn't believe what these guys were saying but it was like yeah you know we uh, we really need to make money on this and it needs to be more commercial and you're getting us you know you're getting us thrown out of places and um, and we can't get gigs and it's because of this negative vibe that you're projecting yeah. you know me and I'm the front guy I, I was the singer <laughs> right and, yeah uh, and I said and they said and we found this other guy who's more you know he's got a more commercial vibe than you do this yeah, guy yeah. Paul Green and and he has a he has a jumpsuit and a snake. Oh yeah, it's the most important and things in the world. Is a jumpsuit said, and a yeah, snake. Yeah, well, so, you know, <laughs> knock yourselves out. Have, you know, but I put on a brave front, but I was actually really upset. Yeah, I uh, because I'd put a lot, a lot of work into that band and a lot of emotional investment in it, and they were kicking me out. You know, and 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 I didn't like being rejected like that, and uh, so I was I was kind of upset. And Rob was, I'll make you a cup of tea and we'll, you know, we'll talk about it. And yeah, you know, he was really good to me about that. I, and uh, it's just amazing to me too, that, you know, when I listen, when I listen to burn my eye, you know, that, that first recording, that, that first version, like it's just such, there's such a through line to all that stuff that uh, was happening in Detroit. Like all, you know, all the bands, we all know them, uh, but like, kind of it had a different vibe like it, it hit differently and, and it was probably one of the first bands on the i don't know do we do we call it proto-punk like it's just rock and roll really but th that kind of brought a different vibe to it i feel well i think you know it had that, it had that stuff in it because of my childhood and and my teenage years when i was seeing all these great bands and you know growing up in ann arbor yeah in the in the late 60s and uh so all that, you know, but, but also it had the British invasion stuff and the who and the kinks and the Rolling Stones, which we, you know, we just totally love those bands and, and, um, that, that influences it was in it too. Well, and it seemed to me like you were just taking the, 
all of the things you loved best about various types of music and putting, putting your own spin on it, which ideally that should be what a band is. But uh, it, it seemed to meld very nicely that you had sort of the more unhinged elements of like, you know, say MC5 and Stooges and whatnot. But yeah, you know, you have like the stones when they're, when they're ripping it up the hardest. And that's, yeah. that's such a nice, sweet spot for a lot of people, myself inclusive. Uh, it, it's easy for me to say that sitting here in 20, 22 uh did was was the reaction i mean i think i remember uh, hearing something about along the lines of uh uh you know back then you had as many people on stage as you had in the audience or something along those lines and i i believe it uh did did folks gel with it immediately like i mean because because uh, uh burn my eye is like one of the first songs if i remember correctly right it's first recording but it's one of the first songs that gets out in the world and that, to me, that's a mission statement song. Yeah, well, you know, we, I guess we recorded that and we'd already been, uh, we'd already been together playing for a couple of years when we recorded that. Yeah. And, uh, and we had, uh, the thing was we, yeah, when we first started playing, we only our friends came yeah. to the shows and every time we played in a, in a real venue, we were kicked out and told never to come back there again. So, um, you know, it was the, the guys in TV Jones were right about that part of it. Right. I mean, it, it, it was true. Right. And, uh, and so we started putting on our own, our own gigs, you know, and, yeah. and, and decided to completely, uh, do, do it ourselves. And it gradually grew, you know, cause people, saw what they thought was something special and they wanted to tell their friends about it and bring them along next time. And it just sort of grows by word of mouth like that. And, and, and it wasn't, um, gosh, it wasn't until yeah, 76 or late 76 that we actually could get into a recording studio. Yeah, that's great. And so it was that, what was the reality of recording back then versus what your idea of recording was? Well, we had no idea, you know, how you're supposed to record. So, you know, we, we just thought we'd just bring all our stuff in and set up like live and play like live. And, and you know, we were pretty arrogant in those days. And and, uh, and, and you think you know everything. And, and um, studios in the, in the mid-70s were not designed for that. No. They, everything <laughs> is carpeted and soundproofed, and it's very... The, the sound in those studios is very soft and because uh, they were making records that were supposed to be played on the radio according to the trend of the day, which yeah. wasn't what we were doing. And the first three or four studios that we, that we went to and, and set up and started, started to, to play, they just said, we can't record you get out. <laughs> I've, I've actually got some demos from some of those, oh, you know, were the first three or four songs we could do. Yeah. And, uh, but then at Trafalgar, they, they were more, I guess they were more open-minded and, and, uh, you know, willing to give it a try. And Charles Fisher, I think he saw something in it that, that he, he saw as, as like the germ of a good idea. And so he agreed to record us and, and they would fit us in, 
in between paying sessions. So <laughs> if they had a weekend where they didn't have anything booked, we could, we could go in yeah. and, and, and do a little bit of work. But we didn't like the way the studio sounded. So we, we found these uh, sheets of corrugated iron and, and like roofing material and stuff like that from, from uh, demolition sites. And we put it in the back of our van and, and took it over to the studio and dragged it in there and put it up on the walls. And, and they said, we, we said, this is going to make your studio sound better. And the engineer was, you know, he was so I was going to say, how did he feel about that? Yeah. And, you know, and, uh, but they let us do it. And yeah. um, I think it sounds pretty good. It's, it's a very, it's and, a, you know, we, and we, we did record at full stage volume and with our stage amps. In fact, we would, if we had a gig on, on Friday night, we would just drive after the gig, just drive and we were going to record the next day. We just drive the, the gear over to the studio and, and set it up and uh, just go record on Saturday and then tear it down and go play on Saturday night somewhere else. Wow. And um, so they got pretty good at setting up the drums just the way they're supposed to be set up. And <laughs> That's just you know, what I was thinking, is a, was the drums. I was like, the drums take the longest to mic up. The drums take the longest to get a good sound on. And if, if, you, if you're yeah. tearing them down, it's like you're starting from square one unless you have a system, I assume. Yeah, I guess they, they figured out a system where they could get that done really fast. Right. That, that's, so that's so the first album took about a year to record. Because you're doing it in these drips and drabs. You're doing it like just when you can, right? Yeah. And that's and that's really crazy to me because I just had I had Steve Fisk on uh, last week from Pellmell and Pigeonhead and whatnot. And he's recorded a million bands. And he talked about when he was recording Screaming Trees, he recorded a lot of that band's records. And like when when they recorded their first record, it was it was they just they didn't they they set up like a band. They like faced the control room. They and they like played it like a show because they just. They didn't. They didn't know you did it any other way other than that. Like it's that's that's what they they thought of to do, uh, and that presents challenges, especially when you're a loud raucous band. Uh, yeah. So did was it was there like a learning curve towards like getting separation, uh, things along those lines? I, I mean, this isn't like the tape op podcast or anything, but I'm just I'm fascinated because I think they're very interesting recordings. Is why I'm asking, and I think they turned out really well. Yeah, well, yeah, totally a learning curve, and you know, and gradually you you relax a little bit and let other people's ideas come in, which yeah. is which is a very good thing because they they actually know how to record stuff and you don't. But um, <laughs> yeah, it turns yeah, out maybe I mean, you should listen. Right, <laughs> Funhouse they dragged a PA in there, and and that's uh, a good that's a pretty so, good record. You know, there's 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 no there's no one way, one proper way to record any any more than there's one proper way to make an impressionist painting or you know it's it's you can try stuff and sometimes it works uh since you invoked since you invoked uh funhouse radio birdman is a misheard stooges lyric is that right it, it's like it's a radio burnin it's radio birdman is that is that correct yeah i, I, I think yeah, i read that yeah somewhere. that's right the the actual lyric that as it was written is radio buzzin oh <laughs> that that's what that's what Ron told me anyway. <laughs> which which sounds even more off base, but who know who can tell? As much as I love that, record. yeah. But but yeah, but we yeah, Radio Birdman. That's what that's what we kind of heard, and it, it was it was an interesting image, and so we used it. 
Yeah, because it, it's, you know, I'm not one to get hung up on band names, but it is kind of an interesting band name. And uh, what, I, so when I, when you guys came to my attention, it's when I worked at a record store. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting band name. Huh. All right, I'll check that out. You know, back when it wasn't just like, I'm going to push a button on my phone and listen to a band's entire discography, right? Uh, but, you know, I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, wow, this is, how have I not heard of this Radio Birdman band? What's their deal? And then, like, I, you know, learned about it, you know, in, in the days of yore, uh, before you could go to Wikipedia. And it just struck me how kind of otherworldly it sounded. Uh, but then someone's like, oh, yeah, they, they have, like, some connection with the Stooges or something. I was like, oh. Okay, that kind of makes sense. Like it kind of came from the same planet or like the same galaxy, if you will, uh, as as that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, people in America came, sort of came to find out about it um, over a long period of time and and late because we were, you know, we were bumped off the Sire record label before they even distributed the record into record stores. Yeah. That's why the only copies you'll ever find of radios appear are cutouts. Yeah. It never made it into the stores. Even when we were on tour in the UK, it, it you know, Sire, uh, they, they lost their distribution deal right in the middle of that. And, and so, you know, we would go to, to we play a show somewhere in the UK. We were doing six cities a week for, gosh, for months. And, uh, you know, guys would come up, Hey, your band is really good. Uh, when are you going to make a record? You know? And it just wasn't available. And in those days you didn't have merch that it was unheard of to bring your own records to a gig and sell them. Nobody had thought of that. (laughs) Which which is crazy because that's about the only way you can make money now. Like (laughs) that's right. Now it's everything. It's It's, like half of our income. Right. But yeah. And, and, uh, and also there's the thing of if you see a band and back then if you see a band and and you didn't necessarily you didn't certainly know if you'd ever hear them again if you didn't like get you know if you couldn't like you know find it quickly okay I just remember that band name when I go to the record store and if it wasn't in the record store you know uh which is I guess is how you end up being uh being the favorite band of all the 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 ner- freaks nerds and weirdos and the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and the people that seek out that kind of thing, such as myself. But I think it's 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 a different world when you have your stuff in the in the record stores. And then yeah, it, it is interesting to think that, that wasn't even a thing yet. Like that had yet to be sort of <laughs> that circuit of here's the merch table did not exist as of yet. Yeah, that's right. When when record stores disappeared, merch tables appeared. Right. It's like an evolution sort of thing, I guess, but um but yeah, they. Uh, I don't know what else to say about that. They, well, the uh, you know these days, I don't know. Do you have any record stores where you live? Yes, but it's it's niche. It's like there's there's like two, and they're you know. What well, I will say is this: is is that the look they pay my bills for a while but tower records is long gone yeah <laughs> like uh you know the warehouse people are like what what's the warehouse uh so what's left are these stores that it's people just for the love of the music for the love of the art that, that are doing it and so they tend to stock the things that they love and you can go in and, and talk to 
the person who's at the counter and they'll tell you like, hey, you really need to hear this. Like they'll give you the yeah, recommendations. So I like that those are still around, albeit struggling, certainly during these times, uh, for sure. But yeah, not like how it used to be. And uh, and I feel like that cultural experience of, like you don't get the same experience when you go to Amazon. To, <laughs> you know well, what I, I guess, mean? I guess the thing also was radio back in, you know, yeah. the, you're probably too young to know about this, but back in the, in the late 60s, radio was very free when you know when they opened up the fm band yeah. for the first time there was stuff on the radio that you couldn't hear anywhere else and it was djs had total freedom they didn't they didn't have to conform to any playlist and uh especially in detroit you know wabx i mean that uh, you could turn the radio on and hear tracks from trout mask replica right imagine hearing that on the radio and, and, yeah <laughs> and velvet underground's first album and amazing and joe bird and the field hippies you know doing you can't ever come down and things like that that uh and you'd hear that stuff and then you then you'd go down to the record store and say can you get this in yeah order it yeah can you order this for me yeah yeah can, I, I heard yeah. of this killer band can you get me the record <laughs> which is and, and you know, and, and, and the great thing about radio was that you never knew what you were going to hear next. I mean, yeah. it wasn't. It it led to a much more open experience because now with streaming, you can, you can. It's like a big jukebox. You can play anything you want, and it'll come on. But if you're only playing stuff you already know, you're not hearing anything new. Yes. Yes. This this, this is this is my concern, and. It, comes up as you might imagine frequently on this show because what you have is a closed circuit so yeah. how do you find out about new stuff oh i listen to stuff from my friends well how are they finding out about new stuff well the algorithm will let you see or hear certain things and then maybe it'll it'll propagate out and it's it's amazing that we've we've given up our autonomy in that way and our freedom in that way yeah for convenience so, so these days, you know, um, I listen, like when I'm out processing coffee and things like doing things like that, I, I, uh, I listen to David Frick's show. Oh, nice. And he's got, <laughs> he's got this show called the writer's block. That's on, uh, yeah. um, uh, wait, is that a, is that a serious show? No way. I'm thinking of, um, anyway, please continue. It's Sorry. on serious XM. It is serious. Yeah, it is. Okay. Thank there. you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, thank you. And, and, uh, <laughs> and so he does one show a week and he'll feature something from the past, but he'll also play new stuff that he's come across that he thinks is cool. So that's, that sort of functions like radio in a way. And then yeah. there's a couple other shows, you know, I listen to little Steven once in a while. His, his shows, he pulls some stuff out where it's like, where the hell did you find this? This is awesome. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> you hear really cool stuff on there too. Uh, and I think that, you know, it, it's the Internet has given people the ability to, you know, become the media, as Jello Biafra has said, uh, and, you know, get given a platform for folks to be able to be like, hey, you really need to listen to this. Uh, but, yeah. it, but it doesn't always work that way, unfortunately. And so, sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, you know, I had I had your compatriot on James Williamson last year for your awesome record and you know i tried to put a bit of a megaphone on that as much as i can uh, thank you 
it's a ripper, man. Like that re- that that record rocks, like flat out. Like it's a good. Re- it's not a oh, it's a good record for these guys that were in much more famous bands or <laughs> much more well regarded bands. It's just an awesome record. Thank you. And you know, I I did what I can. Sorry, I don't I don't I don't. Well, that was the point. <laughs> that was the point with that record. You know, I'm I'm a big James Williamson fan. Yeah. And uh, I I tried to pull some stuff out of them that I wanted to hear, you know, as a fan. <laughs> for real, <laughs> for a, real. I had a unique opportunity to do that. I mean, like... I, I wrote songs for him to play solos to that were specifically designed to get a Williamson solo out of. Yeah, yeah, like that that type of solo, right? Like, yeah. you have like one well, of... We both know what I'm talking we about. We all know what I'm... Exactly. <laughs> and and uh, I figure, well, this is my chance to make him do it. Yeah, the hot lava. You know, we want some hot lava out of you, James. Like that's yeah, yeah that's and it's it, it works. Like it's it it rips, and you know th- that was real nice to hear because it was sort of, you know, I it, it I know it's he had a whole and he has an interesting arc as well. And of course, you know, folks will see the show if you haven't already. Check out that back episode. That's well worth a listen on its own. But like, I mean, he put it he put it down for a while. Yeah, he did. Which is which is nuts. Anytime I hear like uh, so, same th- Greg Norton from Who's Do, same thing. You like put down the bass for like ten years or something, and that that's just like wow. <laughs> but you would, but you're you. Like you've done the things that you've done. You're pretty good at this. Like you made me keep doing it. But I get it to the same by the same token, you know. Um. So it was. It, yeah. It's just. It, it was rad to hear him shredding it with you, and I was like, and that was a uh, two great tastes of the taste together. Uh, candy situation I felt for myself. Uh, but okay, but let's go back to to Radio Birdman. Um, so Seymour comes out uh, to he's he's like gonna sign the Saints, right? Is, is, yeah. is that correctly? That's that's how. And then he saw that's when he saw you guys. Yeah, somebody dragged him to our our gig, and and he he uh, he became a believer. Right. Yeah. I mean, that... Seymour, you know, Seymour Stein has, he's got such a rock and roll heart. He, he, uh, you know, he started as the, as, as with Redbird Records, as the, as the kid that was sent out for coffee and thing and take out Chinese and things like that. Yeah. And uh, the gopher. And, and he went from there and he, he never stopped being a huge rock and roll fan. Um, you know, he's got like, I don't know, 8,000 albums in his house. And, uh, or he did when I was, when I went over there and he, he's just gets, gets, he gets enthusiastic and his, uh, I guess manager, I guess label manager, he's the owner, but the, the label manager was going Seymour. You don't want to sign these guys. Two of them are doctors, you know, and, uh, and this is not going to work. And, and see, but Seymour couldn't be moved off that position. He goes, no, they're great. I'm signing them. And, uh, I was sitting in his office and, uh, you know, and he, he already had radios appear, but we had done this, um, live recording Mm -hmm. of, 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 oh yeah. And it was a professionally done live recording on 16-track mobile. In fact, we we hijacked the uh, ABC's 
mobile recording truck to to do it nice and um i played him a song off that a, a rough mix from that because we we had just done that gig and then i came over to the states and i went to new york and i was hanging around at, at the sire offices and it was a live version of more fun and played it to him on a cassette and he's like up on his desk dancing and and he he got on the phone and and he calls somebody in la and says you got to listen to this you got to hear this this is the new danny and the juniors and he, <laughs> and he jammed the phone into the speaker of the cassette machine and plays it to this guy that's on the west coast that's amazing you know i i love seymour stein seymour stein's the best got that rock and roll heart <laughs> He's 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 such just a an OG super fan of the things he loves and it's yeah, God, you gotta and, love it. And 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 I guess that's part of the reason why why uh the label almost folded and, and we got kicked <laughs> off the label, you know, along with the Flaming Groovies and the Rosillos and yeah. oh twenty other bands got dropped all at the same time. Just because he's more into rock and roll than he's into me into it, business. Into making money, yeah. <laughs> which which you know, it's making the money kind of helps uh, helps helps with the rock and roll. But yeah, incredible, in, incredible output that that dude is involved with, and it's all like all timers of like, oh god, that band's great. Oh, that band's great too. But yeah, being great doesn't exactly always bring you financial success in your time. That's right. <laughs> Sorry, spoiler alert, everybody. But uh, yeah, I think that uh, it, that's an interesting time too because. Uh, there's so much stuff happening around that time in Australia. And, and I feel like Birdman kind of was at a time where you guys sort of helped change that in a way. You were part of a culture where this specific kind of just gnarly rock and roll was kind of getting, if not normalized, like, you know, uh, pioneers who got scalped <laughs> trails blazed. But by the same token, it must have been a little bit of a lonely place as a band. Like, did you feel like you had common cause with other bands uh, down there or no? Was it just sort no, of like... No, not at all. Um, um, not until the Saints turned up. And, and and uh, but, the, you know, Australia had, they had a great rock and roll scene in the mid-60s. There were some really cool bands down there, not just the Easy Beats, but, but also, you know, the Masters Apprentices, and uh the missing links yeah and uh, purple hearts and 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 um you know uh, the loved ones is another one. Oh yeah uh, yeah 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 the loved ones and you know phil jones and the unknown blues there's a lot of great bands in the in the mid 60s in australia and they all got um a fair amount of radio play too because they they had a law that a certain amount of content had to be local Right. And but when I got there, I, I arrived there in 72. All that was gone. I mean, that that whole scene <laughs> was long gone. over. And it, yeah, it was it was sort of a spaced out uh, post hippie malaise. Uh, you know, it's it was either electric boogie blues or Hobbit music. <laughs> We all know what you're talking about when you say Hobbit music, too. We get it. <laughs> and, and yeah, and, and, and so, and then we, TV Jones, 
the rats and then Birdman. And, and yeah, we, it was a very lonely place because there, there wasn't anybody else doing that stuff. Yeah. You know, we, we were, we thought that the New York dolls were doing it and, you know, and, and suicide and, um, you know, we love those bands and, and the early, we were really into the early blue oyster cult too. Yes. Who, who, who ripped pretty hard, frankly. They ripped really hard. Yeah. They were great, and and uh, so really, that that was kind of it. And um, and then the Saints came along, and we heard their single, and we thought, well, here's some guys that are doing that are on the same wavelength as us. Right. And they moved to Sydney, and you know we we welcomed them into our scene with open arms. We 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 gave them gigs at at our venue. We uh, gave them our rehearsal space, loaned them equipment, uh, promoted them a lot, and um, but they were they were much more competitively minded than we were. Um, Interesting, especially the singer, <laughs> just wanted to compete and be an asshole. And, and, right, and uh, so the we didn't end up being very friendly with them even though we tried yeah and then after after us and the saints you know both bands left went overseas um they kept going for a while we broke up over in the uk in 1978 and then in the in in that in the wake of all that that was when this explosion of bands came in australia <laughs> right like and, immediately and afterwards like, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was immediately afterwards, and the, it was like you'd opened up a floodgate, and there was a hundred, a hundred bands doing that stuff. And that's got to be, that's got to be bittersweet. <laughs> yeah, it was okay. You know, it's 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 nice to be part of a of of a of a historical shift, you know, and, and to to have had a part in it. I feel really fortunate about having done that. When you and, and when you guys uh, split up in '78, that was um, I, that was going to be like with uh, with the Ramones that, that that tour, I think, right? That, that, if I remember correctly, am I no, it was with Flaming Groovies. Oh, sorry, Flaming Groovies. My bad. Okay, um, we were we were the next thing that was going to happen. Like that was the first half of '78 up until June, and then we were going to have a couple of weeks off, and then we were going to tour north america with the ramones for the rest of the year and if if sire records had had managed to hang together yeah that would have happened and <sighs> i think that would have been fantastic that probably would have been okay yeah i think their audience would have liked us and vice versa well it's funny because flaming groovies and ramones both of like kind of coming at it from different areas but like those totally make sense in, in, yeah. their, in their own ways and that's uh Oh God, that's a heartbreaker. That that's that's some sliding door stuff right there. I and so, uh, but then around so uh, and around that same time, that's when uh, uh, Living Eyes. You recorded Living Eyes, right? It, it was, uh, but it yeah. wasn't released for a bit. It was like a couple years. Yeah, that's right. And the reason for that was that we weren't really supposed to record it. We, <laughs> we we'd already been dumped, but but Sire forgot to cross that off their you know, off the list of stuff to do. And yeah. And so we were still booked into the studio 
and so we showed up and recorded and and recorded living eyes three three weeks at rockfield yeah and uh as far as i know no no one ever paid for that session (laughs) and i had a safety copy of the tape right of the mixes and and it sat in my closet for three years because we didn't really know who it belonged to or, or if we had a right to do anything with it. And, right. and, and certainly Sire didn't want it. And, uh, and our late, you know, no other label would have touched it because of the copyright issues and such. So finally our, our Australian label that did radios appear in the first place, the first Australian one, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they decided to put it out and just, so we're only going to release it in Australia and New Zealand. And if they want to come after us, you know, knock yourself out. And, uh, and so that's, that's when that came out like three years later. God, that's crazy. And that's so, and that's why we put this, we put this band together. You know, we couldn't put Birdman back together at that point. Right. It was impossible because of the personality conflicts and everything that we had. But, um, I was able to get Ron Ashton and Dennis Thompson from the MC five to agree to do a tour to promote that living eyes album. And they were quite happy to come down and and play. And it was having them on board. That was the incentive that got Rob back involved in Warwick Gilbert. So we put that band and we called it the new race just for, you know, yeah we use that name and uh, six week tour of Australia and the live album out of that. Yeah. Dennis Thompson and Ron Ashen, you could do worse, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you, it's worse. you could do a lot worse. I think that's, uh, oh, man, it was great. The band, the band really rocked and, and the recording is good. Yeah. And there's, and there's, I know there's a few like bootlegs of that, uh, floating around, uh, and, and, th- and things along those lines, but it's certainly, it has a very much a, like there's a through line from the Birdman stuff to that, it feels like. Oh yeah. So then, uh, so so with and, and oh, and I also want to. I'm sorry. I would it'd be disingenuous not to not to mention. Uh, I mean, you guys are hitting it hard, like as as a band before all that happens. Like, and it seems like just kind of always right in the precipice of something really amazing happens. I, I, it's gonna. It, it takes a toll on personal relationships. So, like, does it does it take a while to be able to you know be in communication with everyone, even like post band? It's it's. I'm, I'm thinking back to you know, there's the big day out, right? Like that's that, that was a thing. Like it kind of came to my attention around the same time I got into the band, which is funny. Yeah. Well, we all after the first breakup in '78, we all we all kind of stayed in touch yeah and and um maybe not warwick so much but the rest of us kind of stayed in touch and uh and we started working on various projects together you know um i had chris mazowak play on um, a couple of my solo albums and he had me play on the last hitman album and you know and i was in touch with rob and i had rob come come and do some singing and um, so it was all kind of friendly, uh, 
but nobody really wanted to put the band back together until 96. Um, we got an offer to do that from, uh, you know, Ken West offered to, uh, have the band play the big day out. Yeah. And, and he basically said, here, I'll give you a suitcase full of cash. <laughs> you, you, you made a compelling argument. <laughs> and yeah. And, 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 you know, and this was, this coincided with, um, uh, the reissue of, of living eyes. Um, we had actually managed to get the two inch tapes back from, from, uh, from Wales and were able to remix it. And, uh, I think that mixing session, that's the first time we were all together in the same room, you know, in about 13 or 14 years. And then, um, then Chris Mazowak was uh, visiting. I was living in Montana. Chris, right. Chris was visiting when the call came in about the big day out, and I and I said, Chris, this is Ken. You know, Ken West wants to have us on the big day out for a suitcase full of cash. You want to do it? And he goes, Yeah, I'll do it. So we called the other guys, and they said they'd do it. So we got back together. We didn't. We didn't know if it was going to still work. Well, so that's the thing, right? Like, do, do is it does it take until you get in the room together and somebody strikes the yeah. first chord to be like, all right, let's roll yeah. the dice. <laughs> yeah, we we, uh, you know, it's like it's it's like an old airplane that's abandoned in a field somewhere, <laughs> and it's you know, and you put oil in it and kick the tires and yeah, and and uh, see if it see, see if, if it'll it turn over. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, but, yeah. but it, it did start and, and you know we wrote a couple new songs and and d did the big day out and then we did a, a tour with uh wayne kramer opening yeah yeah so, so wayne wayne had a really hot trio at that time it was himself and brock avery and paul ill and they just ripped they were so good you know, we were coming to the venue early enough every night to see them play first, watch That's them, awesome. yeah, and go there. Okay, boys, there's the mark. You know, right. <laughs> yeah, you've got it. You... The benchmark right there. Yeah, don't don't let down. Like, opener's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and that's just and to me, it seemed like like enough time had passed musically that. I mean, let's let's not kid ourselves. This is like post grunge, right? You know, as much as like it's a that's a nonsense term, et cetera, et cetera. But like, you know, your bands like Mud Honey and Soundgarden and what people that like had your records and love them, and you know, and and like the like the music, and you know, maybe showed some of the influence in some cases. So did it feel like it was it feel like a bit of a reckoning to have like this entire new generation of people that like wasn't around to see it the first time kind of like respond in the way that they did? Yeah, it was great. It was it was a real validation for me. Um, and even now, I mean, our, our we, we did our last shows, our last tours just before the pandemic hit. Yeah. And uh, was that what the twi the twins in the, that are in the band? Uh, no, this is with Radio Birdman. Oh, are you the radio? Of course, yeah. I'm, I was thinking of. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, Please continue. Yeah, the, twi yeah. the twins are in my solo. Yeah, band. your solo band is what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. 
and uh, but but radio group man you know the touring and you know finished up in 2019 and and there's grandparents and grandchildren at the show and these and, and the grandchildren are like 17 and 18 years old and they're wearing they're wearing these t-shirts that that are that they found at their grandparents house. right <laughs> and, and they're at the show and and they and uh in the old days we never got any got got very many females coming along to the shows yeah. it was all guys yeah because it was it was sort of a you know it's like guys want to see an air show or yeah. go to drag races <laughs> the air show you know, totally yeah yeah things like that <laughs> you know and and and, and you know and on the movie titanic the thing that that makes guys brings a tear to guys eyes yeah is when is when they show the boiler room in, of the titanic yeah you know? <laughs> but, it was so beautiful yeah <laughs> but now now it's different now girls are coming yeah there's, there's girls all in the front row and uh and this is really different and we think that's great it, it is and it's it's nice to see it's nice to see like a welcoming place for people to kind of have awesome experiences together that where it's not exclusionary, right? Like you can, you can feel safe and rock out and like, it's great. You know, as much as like, you know, I I think people tend to overhype like the, the, how great the danger was of, of, you know, early punk rock or whatever shows It's like, well, it was just something to be avoided to get to the part you liked, which was like the kick-ass music being played is, you know, Exactly. That's right. It's my take on it anyway. Uh, oh, hey, uh, since we, we uh, the logo, the Radio Bearman logo, I wanted to, I don't talk about this isn't logo talk or anything. I think it's a very good, iconic logo. And Thank I think, and I think it's, it's sort of endured a couple epochs of art <laughs> for how logos are. And has come back around to being like very, very fresh again, almost. Uh, was it something where, because it's kind of a strong, like it looks like, it, you know, I, I, if I remember right, I think uh, some people are like, oh, is this a cult? What is this kind of thing? Like it wasn't exactly a <laughs> de rigor for the time. That's right. Well, you know, we had the logo. I, I, I drew the first version of it back in TV Jones times, but we never used it. And... Um, and then we saw that the Blue Oyster Cult had a logo. Another good one. You know, yep. They had that Saturn symbol with a. Yeah. And and they had it on flags, and it looked so great. Their stage looked great with those flags. So we said we can do that. We have I have a logo. We can use it. So, that's why we used it. Well, and it's and again, since you guys were coming at it from a place of just being, you know, so fierce. Uh, at what you are that to have like you know a, a flag to ra- a literal flag to rally around to a certain yeah. degree you know that's awesome that's <laughs> yeah and you could have you know you could have patches with the logo mm-hmm. and buttons and things like that and people could wear that and they and, you know and it doesn't say anything it's just the logo yeah and but if you know go, oh man you're into you're into them too yeah me yeah. too you know <laughs> exactly it's, it's like being in a club exactly you're instantly you're, you're you're creating affinity with people that are fellow fans like they know that oh i you're awesome i know what that is <laughs> which is great i and you know because it, and it isn't like you know the radio birdman stuff is all like daunting and crazy i mean i'm, I'm thinking about like the hawaii 50 homage too. like that's that's just right. like that's just good clean american fun well 
Australian fun, whatever. <laughs> totally. I, and and I think that when you guys first came to my attention, I was like, oh man, there's this, this short, you know, ripping band, and they're they're super dangerous. You never heard of them? They're amazing. And I was like, well, I like the birthday party, so it better be pretty good. And then I was like, oh, it's pretty good. But I, I remember when I first heard that, I was like, oh, they they're just having fun being a rock and roll band too. Like <laughs> that's exactly right. You know, you know, a lot of people didn't get that. Yeah. The fun aspect. You know, a lot of our a lot of our stuff is fun and making fun of itself. Some some of it is, and uh, you know, a lot of the lyrics are meant to be humorous. Right. And um, some people take that that stuff too seriously. I mean, I guess it's nice that people want to listen. Rock and roll is supposed to be fun, right? But it, I mean, ideally, <laughs> that would be that would be nice. <laughs> that's how I that's I feel like it should be. <laughs> Call me crazy. Uh, but then that also reminds me. So like, uh, so we're talking about living eyes and how that it took a while for that to kind of come out. But you, you sort of expanded on things a little bit. You know, you had some stuff that, on there that was, um, uh, yeah. I mean, like, do the moving change. That's like a, that's like a pretty damn good pop song, frankly. You yeah. know, it's it's not like you all were just you know, uh, what is it? Uh, shredded speakers. Well, we <laughs> We had to do the pop on the on the first album, and so we had it. We had to have another dance tune. Right, right, and, and that's and, and that's. It's interesting what does and doesn't get over as far as feeling like out of out of sorts necessarily. Uh but I mean, in I mean, it works. It works nicely with everything, and it hits it in a way that, uh, like, I think back to, like, those first couple damned records. Like, I, I like Machine Gun Etiquette quite a bit. Yeah. And that's kind of a crazy record if you stop and think about it. You know, Smash It Up has like it starts with a piano ballad. We're like, what is going on exactly? <laughs> but you can it can coexist. It can all coexist, people. It can all coexist. And I think that that I'm not sure if the band uh, really got credit for that back then, but I think it comes across better now when people are not so ensconced in their genres necessarily uh so i mean did you find that was the case like when you brought you know, when you brought birdman back that like people were kind of looking at it as, as its whole totality or do you think people just want to hear the songs and maybe they were i'm overanalyzing this completely uh you know it's there's there's always going to be a contingent of people that just want to hear new race and aloha steven <laughs> and 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 no matter what you do even if even in your solo band they want to hear that yeah and um and that's all they want. And if it's not, if it doesn't sound like that, they don't, they don't, they don't want to know, know about it. it. Yeah. But, but I think, I think a lot of our, of, of our listeners, um, see beyond that. I mean, we, we, whenever we play man with golden helmet, we get a, we always get a good, res- great response from that. Yeah. And, and there's nothing punk about that song at all. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> no, but it works. You know, we, we have we have a we have a keyboard player that when he joined the band knew nothing about rock and roll. I love this guy that. was like yeah. this guy is like the least rocking person in the world. We had to educate him about a few things, but but he had this great classical background. You know, he he was a conservatory trained classical pianist. Yeah. You know, like Ray Manzarek and uh was. And uh so you get get a guy like that in the band. That's a real secret weapon. Yeah, the only thing I can think of that has in a, uh, that there's like kind of a similar through line for is like the Stranglers, you know. Yeah, that's right. Yep. 
uh, and, and same thing where it's like that guy's just going like the whole time. Like, wow, like, there's, 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 that guy's just that guy's just going for it. <laughs> That's one of the things that made the Stranglers really different and really cool was yeah. that was their keyboardist. Yeah, and it's I, I I think those records have held up well. Also, you know, I mean, why not? Yeah. Uh, so, so talk to me about the time. So we've all right. So we talked about the Birdman reunion, but there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens in between, right? Like you're you're in Montana, one of my favorite states, by the way. I, I love Montana, and uh, you and we also blasted right past the whole uh, medical training thing, right? That that's a thing that's uh, yeah. <laughs> not every rock and roll band has that background. But it, you guys are very, it, 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 I feel to me that the songs themselves and as a band, you guys were very informed by being not just dirtbags, for lack of a better term, like having like coming at it from an inf- informed place. And then I think it's so interesting about that because the only person I can think of, I mean, I guess there's Guy Madison, right? But uh, th- there's not a lot of folks that have like the rock and roll to <laughs> healthcare, I guess. I don't know what, no, what, what, what would you call it? Um, what what led you to do that? Like, what led you to do that? How did you end up, like, you know, in the, the it was the uh, um, military uh, stuff for a bit, right? If I remember correctly, like it, it's yeah, I, I was in the navy for a while, yeah. But but you know, I was um, I always wanted to have a job that I could that would be a, something that I could take from country to country, and and always be able to work if I wanted to work and and uh and work that would be of benefit to the whatever community i was in it would yeah it would be giving to that community and and that's why i chose medicine i mean i i came from a family of engineers there were no doctors in my family Interesting. and um you know and i i respect what my dad did as a professor of engineering but uh, you know but i i didn't want to do that and so without really knowing what it was going to be like, you know, just having more of an idealistic um, viewpoint of it, I went into medicine and, and it's been endlessly interesting the whole time. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's never disappointed me as far as, you know, there's always a new, a new thing to learn there. And um, so when I was in Montana, I was, I was working in the emergency room. I was, I was actually the, the director of the ER there at the trauma center in Billings. Yeah. And that's, I mean, Montana to a certain degree, I feel maybe, maybe it is not the case when you actually live there instead of just visiting and touring as much as you can to see it, it has kind of something in common, some stuff in common with Australia and the fact that the remoteness of it kind of forces people to have their own, build their own culture to a certain degree. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And you know, and the, the other thing about having a, a, a job is, is that you don't have to compromise the music. You can do whatever music you want. Right. You're, you're not depending for, you know, to pay the rent be on conforming to somebody's idea of a marketing plan. Precisely. Yeah. And, and you don't have to worry about, Hey, is this new single going to sell? Because it better sell if it doesn't work we're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, <laughs> you don't have to care about that stuff. Right. Exactly. And then that's, I mean, that's, that's sort of uh that's the model for a lot. Are you? I'm hearing clicking. Is that is that me? What's happening? Okay. Uh, I I feel like there's there's no harm no foul for folks that don't go that route. But I think you're able to keep the music and the art pure. 
that way. And I think that that's uh, there, there's yeah. something to be said for that, for sure. Uh, do you think that? Uh, oh, is the Top Gun thing true? You know, I don't really know. It's uh, it's it's there there. It's it could be coincidental. Um, there, I, I was in a long story short. I was in a squadron. I had a call sign Iceman. It was on my helmet and it was on my name tag on my flight suit. And every in, a, in the squadron, everybody refers to everybody else by their call sign. You, right. you don't even know real, usually what the other guy's real name is. Yeah, it's like a, it's a nom de rock, and, uh, but like by twenty. And so the <laughs> the film team came out and spent two weeks at our squadron doing research for that movie. And they they walked around with clipboards and tape recorders and talking to guys and and um, taking photographs and and learning about how the squadron works. And then they go away. And then a year later, the movie comes out, and there's an Iceman in the movie. But I, I think it's coincidental. It was, it was probably already in the script. That's, that'd be funny. It'd be, it'd be, I mean, let's put it this way. That, that's some you know pop-up video factoids that I always bring up when, uh, when that movie comes on the cable. So I, I hope it's true. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. So while you're, while you're living on Mon- in Montana – it's just too bad that the Iceman in the movie was an asshole. Yeah, he's kind of a dick. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and that movie really ruined the call sign for me. You know, I, I, I oh, hated I think about you know, telling people what my call sign was after that movie. Yeah, came. yeah, yeah. I, I didn't even think about that aspect of it. That's terrible. <laughs> Sorry, that's, I shouldn't laugh. That's terrible. And you don't get to choose your call sign in the Navy. They, they give it to you, and you're stuck with it for your whole career. Yeah, yeah. And and unless something really extraordinary happens, and then they then there's an emergency meeting of the call sign committee, <laughs> and they might change it, which ha- which I've seen happen a couple of times. But it's, it takes an amazing event to to change a call sign. Right, right. It's it's not going to be an everyday occurrence. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so I think that there's uh, there's. So, so, you, so you're in this period where, you, where you're doing that, and do you like the work? Do you think that I mean, is, is it as rewarding as you hope it to be? Yeah. It's a it seems like it's a it seems like it's a, it's a big change. Like is is that something where you just are committed to like hey, I'm going to keep this sustainable. I'm going to keep you know making my music and pushing things forward. Uh do you feel like you're going to put things on the shelf for a while? Like where where are you at when you're in that period of time when you're in Montana? Well, you know, it's it's um one of the great things about being an emergency medicine doctor is that you don't have an office. Right. It's all shift work. Yeah. And you can schedule that shift work when you want. And, and, uh, if you need to go on tour for two months, you can just tell them I'm going to be gone for two months and don't schedule me for any shifts. And, and, uh, and this is when I'm coming back. And, um, if you, so that lack of having an office that you're tied to and at the end of your shift, you walk away from that emergency department. You don't have any to anybody. That's uh, that makes it possible. That seems ideal in a way, you know, 
<laughs> like that seems like it would be an ideal situation to a certain degree, right? I mean, you get you, you get freedom. Yeah, I mean, I like the specialty anyway. Yeah, it's a great specialty anyway because it's so interesting. You never know what's going to come through the door next, <laughs> and it's a it's a great window to the world too. I mean, the stuff you see in there, and the kind the people that you run into. You know, you could write. 50 novels <laughs> you can have a whole series of books yeah experiences yeah absolutely no and uh, that's so 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 it's it, it is a great specialty but um but also perfect if you're a working musician as well yeah that's interesting i mean like being like you know you, you don't think of when people think of rock and roll bands the like trained er doctor is not maybe the first thing that, <laughs> <laughs> that comes to mind but it's great also potentially useful as well i'm just gonna throw that out there yeah uh, so, so you're, uh, so when do you get the, 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 Dennis tech group, so you put that together, it's like 91, uh, somewhere around, it's like uh, right around the gold rush as I call it. Right. It, it, which you know what I'm talking about when I say that, I'm sure, but yeah, <laughs> they let the freaks, nerds and weirdos in for a half minute and then they quickly auto corrected. Uh, what are you, so you, you go back to Australia. And this is Chris that kind of uh, encouraged you to to do this, if I remember correctly, right? He's, he's like, "Hey, come back." Yeah, you mean when I got out of the Navy? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I um, well, that's when I went to Montana. But but I I ran into Chris and and he invited me to come and and uh, play some guitar on the Hitmen recording session, which was down in Houston at that time. They were recording at Sugar Hill Studios, and so. I went down and uh, not expecting to do much, but, you know, I put a guitar in my hand and said, play some, play some guitar parts. And I did. And I'd been playing all the time when I was in the Navy. I, I, I didn't stop playing guitar. Uh, actually had a, had a group called Dust in the Rotorheads with some helicopter pilots. <laughs> That's fantastic. <But laughs> played in the Philippines. That's awesome. But, but, uh, uh, but yeah, that got me interested in it again. And, and I thought, well, if Chris can make a record down here, I can make a record down here. Yeah. So I said, Chris, if I made a, you know, if I, if I wrote some songs and did, and wanted to do a solo record, would you help me out with it? And he said, yeah, sure. So Chris is fantastic in the studio. He's, he's really good at arranging and, and he's, He's a multi-instrumentalist too. He can play keyboards great, and um, and and he he understands production. So yeah, he said, "Okay, well, we'll be back in six months and do my record." Right, and that that kind of started the solo career. And I got Scotty Ashton to play drums on that. I was gonna say you got some good people in there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And R yeah R I P. Um. Yeah, and and that's you know to, to me and to me that sounds like you know you know it's not not even losing a step. But it seems like a natural through line uh, for for those records. Yeah. and but then also kind of approaching the studio a little differently. Now, during the time that you're not like actively playing, are you still do you like downsize the amps? Because I feel like everyone's got like the small amp revolution is like so easy now. Like it's they have like small amps that actually sound good. <laughs> but you know if you're in a situation where you're mobile, you're mobile, you're probably not bringing like a full head and 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 cabinet with, right? So, 
How do you were you were you did you have a small amp with you when you when you're doing that? And the only reason I'm asking is because sometimes people get really into the logistics of when I have folks on, especially from like people that are more more known. Of like how you stay well, with it, how do you stay creative? Well, I I play a lot of acoustic guitar around the house. Oh, yeah, know, I, acoustic I ride guitars, on acoustic guitar mostly. And, and <laughs> forgot about those. Know, and, and I don't need an amplifier for that. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, and, and I got small amps here too. Yeah. You know, for for making demos, I, I have a little home studio I can make demos. And but if I'm gonna be you know, if I'm out with Birdman or with or with the Twins, I, you know, I need my uh, my my bigger amplifier. You got to push the air. Yeah, you got to push air. <laughs> and what, what what I do there is I I keep a couple of amps in Australia, and, oh, cool. and on the west coast of the U.S. and on the east coast and in Europe. So you just get you know you're what you're going to be playing on. Whenever you go to the yeah, place you're going to be, I know I'm going to have my own amp. Yeah, you know I have my high watt in Europe. I know I'm gonna fall in on that, and it's gonna and it's gonna work, and it's gonna sound great. Hired gear is Ugh. notoriously unreliable <laughs> and bad. Yeah. So, and you and you're right. You can't logistically travel with that stuff anymore. In the old days, you could, but not now. And so, the only the only solution is to stage the gear in these different countries. Yeah, at least have it on the continent that you're gonna be on. <laughs> Right. <laughs> did you come to the? How did you come to High Watt as as your uh, amp of choice? Was was it uh, was it anything in particular? Well, I, actually, I it's not my only amp of choice. I, I've got uh, my amp. My main amp in Australia is a Marshall, nineteen uh, seventies Marshall that I had back in Birdman in the old days. Nice. It's the one I had in nineteen seventy eight that I bought in London, over there, and I still have that amp and and and. The high watt, you know, I was in in the UK and uh, on tour. Went to the music store; they had them on special. That's it. The rest is history. <laughs> I said, if it's good enough for Pete Townsend, it's yeah. probably good enough for me. I was gonna say, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's okay. <laughs> uh, so okay, so you got the you got the, the Dennis Tech group. You're you're um, uh, so the. Th- you got the uh, a, a lot happening in, in the '90s with music. Birdman gets back together again. There's kind of like this whole new generation that gets to experience Birdman. Uh, you have the Soul Movers, right? That that's um, yeah, briefly, yeah. And you have th- there's this time period where there's like the Stooges come back. And it's it was uh it was like you you did it you were like a guest for uh for for that at some point is that knowing that there have been this cross pollination in rock and roll uh, for years and as a dude who actually saw them in, in, in like in their prime right like what was your first thought when you saw Stu just get back together again like what what was your first thought there well I been sort of pushing for this for years you know because i was a good friend with ron and yeah. um we always talked about it and you know and and he's like nag he doesn't want to do that and you know it's not going to happen but but the way it happened was actually through the efforts of guys like jay mascus 
and uh, and uh, you know, and Don Fleming and the guys that were in that the, movie. I forget um, what that movie was called. Uh, now. Velvet, Velvet, Velvet Goldmine. Goldmine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and so they, Ron and Scotty, started playing as the Stooges Project, and I think they they play a couple festivals and got a lot of attention and, and, and Iggy approached them and said, we should get back together. Yeah. And I was all, I thought this is, this is really great because these guys need to get paid. <laughs> if you anybody know. deserved it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> if anybody deserved to get paid, it's these guys. Yeah. And, and, and now they did get paid. Yeah. And that's, they, you know, it's 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 it was so cool to see. And actually, so when I saw, uh, so I tried, I've told this story on the air tons of times. Well, I, I think it's relevant to what we're talking about. I saw Jay Mascus in the fog. So Watt playing bass for Jay Mascus, and they brought Ron Ashen on tour with them. And uh, I live in Milwaukee now, but I'm from Oakland, California, and in San Francisco, they and so they they played the songs that the Jay Mascus songs, and then they bring Ron out, and they do like five Stooges songs and my jaw just hits the floor because this is before the internet. So like you could still be surprised by something. Well, the internet was around, but not the internet as we know it now. And my friend who I brought with the sweet guy loves music, but I was like, who's that guy? And I'm like, I, what, like, what are my favorite guitar players of all time? Like you're witnessing history. This is amazing. And then Steve McKay comes out and starts blowing sax on it too, and I'm like just in there, like, wah! And my friends like, ah, these golden guys are pretty good. And it's like, oh my god, dude. <laughs> but you could tell something special was was spinning up at that time, and I think it, it happened shortly thereafter. It was that was just, it was nice to see them be able to kind of get their due, like yeah, get, get their really dues. Great. It was really great that they got that they got that. You know, the MC5 got back together in in 2004. And, uh, and I did the Australia, New Zealand, Japan part of it, but they had like Marshall Tucker for, for North America, these different guitar players and, um, and they had different singers, you know, they had, you know, like Mark Arm did some Mark. of it mm -hmm. and they had, uh, Evan Dando did some of it. And the, the choices, yeah. I, you know, I think Mark was great, but, you know, I, they, they just blew it. They yeah. should have got Scott Morgan. <laughs> I was going to say, there's other, there's a couple other folks that maybe would have been pretty killer on that. that well. Yeah. And, 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 and Scott Morgan and just get one guitar player that, that knows how to play and, 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 and knows the vibe yeah. and, and has the energy level to do it. And, and and put the band back together and do it as a band as a real you know? deal thing yeah yeah and and they could have had the same success maybe that the Stooges had or, or close to it but but it didn't work out I was just talking to Thompson on the phone a couple of days ago nice about that yeah I mean but but hey I gotta tell you the uh, my phone is giving me a warning about oh. Running out of gas. Okay. <laughs> well, the uh, so it, it could cut out at any time. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, that, that that's fine because we're you've been you've been very generous with your time, and this is awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing it. Uh, as you, as you can tell, I'm a big fan. Uh, as are a lot of people who enjoy the show, so it's great to have you. Uh, you know, so there's a, there's a couple things I want to say. For, so first of all, let's talk about um, if, if people want to get it's. Um, 
techonacoffee.com, right? And you can get yeah, you can get the records there too. You can get that kick-ass record you did with James last year. It was last year, right? Yeah. Well, right? you can you can get uh, you can buy merch and records and stuff on dennistech.com. Yeah. Oh, th- that's what it is. Yeah. And then exactly. And the techonacoffee.com is just for the coffee. But there might be a link that goes over. I'm not sure. Uh, but it's it's. Yeah, go and get that. They're, they're, look, there's there's people that listen to this show who can afford it. Let's put it that way. Uh, but I think that <laughs> again, I think that's awesome. I think that's amazing uh, that 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 you're doing that. And I love that. You know, like I said, that record that you did with James is like too many people slept on it. And I hope I hope some people kind of pick that up because I think that's a kick-ass one. What? So what's going yeah. on with you now? Like what's I mean, other than you know, new album just finished. Great um, with Keith String on from the flesh tones on drums. Oh, cool. All right. And, uh, and it's just been mixed. It's going to be mastered on the 18th and then we'll get it out as soon as we can after that. I love it. Will you come back when it, when it's done? Yeah. Uh, don't not to put you on the spot or nothing, but <laughs> what are you going to do? Say no. Yeah. <laughs> hey, screw you kid. <laughs> no, it's been good talking to you. You guys, you know, it's been fun. Uh, so last thing, this is the only canned question, Dennis, that, that I ever ask folks. And you can kind of choose to interpret it however you like. But why do you do what you do? Why do I do what I do? Yes, sir. Because it's the only thing I know how to do. Perfect. I mean, you know, it's just what you do. Got to do something. Dennis, thank you so much, man. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Conan. Take care, brother. Good talking to you. All right. There he goes. Fucking Dennis Tech was on this shit. Did you believe that shit? <laughs> Fantastic. I I've, uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. That was great. Uh, here, let's... Uh, what? Well, some tunes, huh?
Aloha, Steve and Dano. my eye 78 that's uh that's a little thing called radio birdman maybe you heard of them <laughs> if you haven't you certainly have now uh what a cool guy man dennis tech okay so uh yeah I'll, I'll put it in the show notes and everything but uh dennis tech.com you can get that uh that kick-ass record that i was talking about that him and james two to one uh, and Cleopatra, and you get the coffee. You can get the you get the Tecona Tecona coffee. Get it? Because it's Kona coffee. I'm actually I'm actually gonna pick some up this week. I'm out of coffee, so this is uh, very serendipitous. I need to have more people on that cook uh, <laughs> your drinks. I like. <laughs> uh, hey, good times. Thanks everyone for listening. This is uh, been another episode of Kona Neutron's Protonic Reversal episode. 283. The name of the show is Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal. Thank you very much for listening to it. As we come to the close of our broadcast day, this show airs Thursdays, 8 Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific, on RadioNopeRadioNope.com. You can find all the archives for free, ProtonicReversal.com. Always free. No ads, no sponsors, no kidding. No ads, no sponsors, no kidding. If you like the show and you want to support it and or hear episodes sooner, patreon.com slash protonicdiversal. One dollar a month will get you there. Thanks everyone for uh, liking and subscribing to the show. It all helps people find it, and uh, for folks sharing the episodes around, that's uh, that's great. Thank you for doing that because that's what we got to do these days, folks. This microphone turns sound into electricity. More great stuff coming up, as always. Can you hear me now? 
Stay safe out there. And take it easy. Got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now?
podcast. Got my radio on.